have an invitation song, and that song is going to be number 948 for years in the book. I am resolved. Corey Covington will come and lead that song at the conclusion of this part. And uh, you'll also, if you weren't able to take communion this morning, we'll give you that opportunity in a little bit to, to do that. Uh, so I hope you're reading with us. hope you're uh, reading the one-word devotional book with us. Um, as you know, the idea of it being that we're going to emphasize a word for each week. And so we're trying to coordinate that with a lot of the teaching and preaching that I'm doing, uh, preaching that I'm doing and that some other folks and I are doing in the teaching aspect on Sunday nights, a couple of Sunday nights a month. So I hope you're doing that. This is one of those, as we've said before, if you get behind, it's okay. You don't, you know, it's not like reading through the Bible chronologically. You kind of feel like you've got to go back and catch up. This one, you can just pick up your book and start reading. So if you don't have a book, let me know. We've got some extras after we reordered, and we'll make sure that you get one. So the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about sin or thinking about sin and wrath. Um, so we're going to give you an opportunity. If you've got thoughts about that in a few minutes, I hope you'll feel comfortable sharing that with us. I'll vary the class up a little bit. Uh, Bill's going to share some thoughts about sin for a couple minutes, and so I appreciate his being willing to do that. What do you think about sin, Bill? You for it or, or get it? Well, you know, it, it does kind of remind me, and the first time I heard that, uh, I think my, my friend, the late W.T. Allison, I was in my 20s or 30s, told a story about the, about the guy, the, the preacher, coming in to a gospel meeting in the old country church. The guy in the lobby asked him, Preacher, what you going to preach on tonight? And he said, well, I thought I'd preach about sin. And he said, well, I, well preacher, are you furried or against it? <laughs> and so uh, that kind of reminded me of that, reminded me of that story. When, when Chuck asked me to do this, I went home that night, got out a legal pad, and I started writing down some thoughts. And, you know, I, I, as, uh, as humorous as such a statement as, as we just said uh, sounds, in the day in which we live, I'm not sure that we know the difference between whether we're furried or against it, uh, because the uh, world in which we live has come to the point where those things that are, uh, God says are wrong, we consider right, not we, but our society does, and those things that we know that God would condemn, our society says those things are right, and the things that are right, the God, the, our society says uh, they're wrong. So sometimes I wonder, do we really need, in a, in a, in a, in a group like this, do we need, really need to, uh, to define what sin is? Uh, I think not, uh, so I'm not going to belabor that. We all understand that sin is a transgression against what God has told us to do. But here's some thoughts that I wrote down just as I was thinking about this. I recognize that, that, that this is it's, it's not a subject most of us like to talk about. It's probably not the things that we're going to, bring up the first time over the dinner table and it's certainly not what we're going to bring up the first time we have uh, have dinner with a with a with a proposed new friend you know we don't talk about that very much because we don't like to talk about it it's a lot easier for us to just simply ignore it it's easier if we just simply assume that it at the end of the day it really doesn't matter I'm reminded even the last uh, couple of weeks reading things that uh, even Pope Francis is reported to have said that uh, 
that atheists, people who don't even believe in God, uh, can be in heaven if they just live according to their conscience. So when even religious leaders of the day are confused about what sin is, it's little wonder that our society is confused about what sin is. Sin, we're told, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Paul makes that statement in Romans 3. But it's really easy for me to deceive myself. It's easy for me to say I'm a Christian and therefore I'm immune to sin. It's easy for us to deceive ourselves and think that our sins really don't matter. Surely that statement that Paul wrote doesn't apply to me. It applies to other people. But it does. John told us in 1 John that any, in 1 John chapter 1, that any that claims he didn't sin is a liar and the truth is not in him. But you know, we like to focus much more on God's love and on his mercy and certainly on the grace that Chuck spoke about this morning. Uh, that's a much better subject for us to think about. And when we think about God sending his son, God sent his son to die for my sins, so that covers it, right? That's all there is to it. God, I mean, you know, God took care of that on the cross, so my sins I don't have to be concerned about. Well, maybe. You know, it depends on what we do with it, isn't it? It, it is, a, is a matter of what we do. God has given us, uh, by his grace, he's given us the opportunity to have our sins atoned for, but it depends on what we do with it. And I think that's really where we are. Uh, sin is a fact of our life. We live a life that is surrounded by sinful practices. And after all, we have to live with the consequences of sin uh, every day. So we think about what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He, he lists in, uh, a whole panoply of, of sins in the society in which Corinth existed. He starts off, has one verse of classifications of the whole verse is talking about sexual sins of various types and forms. There are other sins that he lists in that passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. But verse 11 is the hopeful verse because he says of those people who were in Corinth who had been engaged in those heinous sins, he says of them, such were, not are, but were some of you. So we can stand before God guiltless, blameless, and sinless, not because we are guiltless, blameless, and sinless, but because of the blood of Christ if we have appropriated that blood uh, to our sins. There's more, but I won't take any more time. 
I appreciate it. Uh, I have a couple of thoughts. I, one, I wanted to kind of piggyback on what he said about what Bill said about just society. You know, I think we feel the pressure as, as Americans living in this point in history it, where it's, it's hard to talk about sin, you know, because you immediately are pegged as a, maybe a Christian fundamentalist, you know, stuck back in the 1940s or whatever when you talk about, you talk about sin. And so we have to think about it as, as Christians. How do we talk about it in our current cultural climate? How do we talk about sin? I do think there is a way to do it, as Bill mentioned. Uh, there's, there's a way to do it. There's a way not to do it. There's a, I think we have to be sensitive to the world we live in, you know, while at the same time not backing down from what God calls it. And so navigating that in our culture is, a, is an ongoing struggle for us as Christians to talk about sin, not being afraid to call it what it is, but at the same time not being un- unnecessarily offensive. And so wrestling with that is something we're going to have to continue doing as we move, as we move, he- move ahead. <clears throat> and other thought I had about it was that a lot of times it's easy for us to see sin in other people. You know, it's the Matthew 7 complex where we, we really can see clearly, I can see clearly what you're doing wrong, but I've, suddenly my vision gets fuzzy when I start looking at my own sin, you know. And that's the Matthew 7, judge not thing that Jesus is talking about. He's not saying all judging's wrong, of course. He tells us elsewhere to judge righteously. But he is saying that we need to be very careful not to be judgmental of others while neglecting to think about our own responsibility and, and the, our own culpability for what we've done. So, I don't know. You got more to say about that before we move on? Well, I would add that just piggyback on what you were saying that we do have to deal with uh, how do we deal with sin in a a sinful world uh, because we have to be able to hold on to the truth hold on to what's right hold on to what was right what is righteous and we have to be able to convict others of their sins but we have to do it in a way and manner that is consistent with the love that we are to show to our fellow man so uh, that I think is absolutely true. But there are, if I might say, there are still consequences uh, when we engage in things that are in direct contradiction to what God has told us to do in terms of our, of, of our life. Uh, you name whatever it may be. Uh, we will pay the consequences and some of those consequences are right here in our lifetime we don't have to wait to eternity, uh, till eternity to face some of the consequences of the sins that we commit. Um, and so we need to be aware that sin is, 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 is uh, as the Bible says, is crouching at our door and it's waiting to, to jump upon us. And, and one of the consequences of, of sin is, you know, sin can leave a, sin can leave a real hole in our heart we can, we can so violate, for instance, our marriage by engaging in something that we shouldn't do. And we can lose uh, everything we have that is most precious to us. And there's a hole that's left in our hearts when we, when we violate what God has told us to do. And we recognize that that hole can be filled 
but it can only be filled the right way with the Spirit of God indwelling in us. Uh, one more thing about that before we move on. I, I wanted, <clears throat> I think I've shared it with you, you guys before. I remember thinking very vividly, I was probably 16 or so, that I was pretty sure my dad was put into the world to make my life miserable, you know? <laughs> you know, curfews and all my other friends got to do, in my mind at least, all my other friends got to do whatever they wanted. But poor old me, you know, with parents who put restrictions on me and wanted to know where I was going, where I was going to, who I was going to be going with and all that. And, you know, from my vantage point now, I look back, and of course, on the other side of it, I realize that those boundaries were put in place because my parents loved me, you know. They wanted me to grow up with a healthy respect for boundaries. And, and I think it's true of God as well. Sometimes we can view him as this cosmic killjoy who, who put in place certain fences, certain boundaries, because he wants to keep us from having fun, you know. Maybe we wouldn't say that out loud, but on some level, sometimes we might think it. But as Bill was hinting at a minute ago, I think, you know, sin, it's not just something arbitrary where God said, I'm going to put this out there. I'm going to test them, you know, just, just to see if they really going to do right or not. Sin at its essence is that thing that we do or don't do that is inconsistent with the purposes for which we were created. And so in some sense, it goes against God's purposes for us when we sin. And we may not even know, you know, what that is. We can certainly see it, think about certain sexual kind of things, maybe sometimes it's clear. We can see how those things lead to certain consequences. Uh, we can see dishonesty can break trust. We can see things, but we don't always see that. And so you got, you know, you teenagers, those of you who are younger may be listening, um, just recognize that when, when God calls something wrong, it's not, he's not trying to make things hard on you. He wants what's best for you. you know? and, and you may not even, we may not even be able to see what, why that is, but there's something going on there that we've got to trust that God knows what's best. Um, all right, so let me segue. And there, this is a natural segue from sin to wrath because they're, they're intertwined. You know? and, and, and for a couple minutes, then I'll give Bill a chance to maybe share a thought about this if he'd like, and then I want to give you a chance to respond in some way. Uh, been since I preached a sermon on wrath last Sunday morning, and I got some comments from you guys and some some thoughts. I want to share just a couple things. Uh, would you look in Romans three with me for a second? Romans three. <clears throat> this is a few years ago. In fact, I remember it was back when McCowan's were here before, because I remember asking Jason to lead the song. Um, about it has a love. It has a line in the song. The wrath of God was satisfied. What was that? In Christ alone is the name of the song. And <clears throat> I remember that because Jason led it that Sunday, and, and then I, I preached a sermon that had something to do with this. Uh, and, and the background of that was, the reason I'm thinking about it is, that song you know, has that line, in, um, the, the wrath of God was satisfied, basically talking about the fact that at the cross, the cross in some sense appeased the wrath of God. And that some um, mainline Christian groups in America had made a request. That they wanted to put that song in their hymnals, but they wanted to change that line. They wanted to take it out. And they wanted to, I think the line they substituted with was, the love of God was magnified. Still rhymed, 
but they wanted to take that thing out. And the whoever owns the copyright to the song, the writers or whoever, uh, denied it. They said, you know, you, you can't take our song and change the lyrics, you know. And, and the thing about it is, this is this is a big thing, and we only got a couple minutes to talk about it, but I didn't do this last Sunday morning. I think it's more appropriate to do it on a Sunday night in a setting like this, is to talk about this ongoing debate, at least briefly, uh, about this thing. And I'm, I'm a little bit sympathetic to this. I've got friends I uh, disagree with on this, and I respect them, uh, who, who believe that when we talk about the death of Jesus, we need to do so without talking about wrath. They believe that that is... Uh, well, here's the, here's the way it's sometimes put. The idea of wrath and God is a product of a pagan development that came out of, I mentioned this briefly in the sermon last week, that, that came out of this way of viewing the gods like, you know, Zeus and the gods, this, this, this wrath that they felt and, and, and a lot of the bad things that happened. It was that, oh, we made the gods mad. You know, we got to try to figure out what to do to appease the gods, Right? And so there's a thinking that that kind of thought underlies the biblical teaching, or at least our interpretation of the biblical teaching about wrath, you know. I'm still not been convinced of this from people I, there are a lot of people saying this, but even some of the people that, that I, I, I respect because of what the Bible says. I just haven't been, I'd like to, you know, I'd, I'd like to be able to say, yeah, you know what, some of those difficult passages about the wrath, they don't actually mean wrath, they mean something else. Uh, but you got a problem with it. And, and a lot of the debate centers around Romans 3.25. And so look at that just for a minute. Paul, uh, Paul is talking about how does God's, how is God's love and how how are God's love, justice, and righteousness satisfied in Christ? So how can God, who is loving and holy, invite us into his presence without violating his justice or his holiness? And he says that Christ is the answer to that. And, and so he says, we're just, verse 24, justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a, and here's the big word, a lot of debate about this. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. If you, if you Google propitiation, in fact, somebody Google propitiation. And just give me the first definition of it. Um, put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So there's this debate about what this Greek word, how it should be translated. Uh, the, the Revised Standard Version, translated back in the, I don't remember, back in the 1960s maybe, translates it expiation, which means a covering. A covering. So, so they would say that what the word actually, how it ought to be translated is, Jesus didn't appease the wrath of God, but rather his blood covers over sin. This is a different way. Now, the, the motivation behind that is not really in the Greek word itself, but rather it is a, a, a motivation to get outside of the wrath idea. So, somebody Google propitiation. What's the first definition? Anybody? Okay. So, the, the 
act of propitiating or appeasing a god or spirit. Is that basically it, Daryl? So you see that idea? That's lowercase g, appeasing a god or spirit. So, you know, the caricature of this is that it's inappropriate for us to think about God in the same sense that the pagans thought about their gods, that, that somehow Jesus is over here and God's mad. He's just, he's just angry with us. And so instead of taking it out on us, he just kind of gets mad at his own son and, and kills him. That's a caricature of this. Some have painted that pretty clearly. Um, now, the problem with it, in my view, is, number one, that's an that's a exaggeration. It's a caricature of what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach it like that. But number two, you've you got to do something with... 600 passages on the wrath of God. <laughs> and, 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 and I'm just not to a point where I can, I can just kind of explain those away in some, in some sort of way. In fact, here in, I mentioned these, I think, last Sunday. Uh, right here in the book of Romans, you know, back one chapter before, Romans 2, 5. Because of your hard and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And so... Over against that backdrop, since the word translated propitiation in Romans 3.25 does mean to appease the wrath of, it's better for us as Christians to interpret it, in in my view, to interpret it in view of that. And when, like I, I tried to do last Sunday, when we can take the wrath idea and remove the negative elements of human anger and human flying off the handle, losing your cool, you know, like we've all experienced, if you take that negative aspect of it, and we're talking about God's love responding with anger toward that which hurts his creation, then I don't think we've got to try to work our way around this. So, I'll give you a second to make a comment, but do you have anything you want to say about that, Bill? Well, let's just stay right there in Romans. Um, Turn over to 6 in in the last verse in chapter 6. What does that tell us about? It says the wages of sin is death. But, you know, what he's clearly saying is just what, uh, what Paul was saying, just what Chuck was elaborating on. This isn't a matter of God being capricious with his wrath out upon us. It is us receiving the wages to which we're due. If God's wrath is due to us because of our sin, it's not because God is wrathful, it's because we are sinful. So we think about, um, we, we, we think about that as I, th- I think Chuck is, is so true. Uh, we think about that just from the perspective of, of God being a wrathful, vengeful God but that's not true. Um, my, my, my daughter was 16 years old, and she was going out with some friends. We had a curfew. Well, actually, she was 15, so she was in the 10th grade. She was going out. In, in the 10th grade, she had a 10 o'clock curfew. In the 11th grade, she had an 11 o'clock curfew. So you see how it goes? At 10 o'clock, the curfew was there. I'm sitting in the den. She has to go through the den to get to her bedroom. I'm sitting at the den every night she goes out. 
When she comes home, I'm sitting in the den waiting for her to come home. And she comes home at seven minutes after 10. I sit her down. I said, your curfew was 10 o'clock. She said, but dad, it's only seven after. And I said, you think those seven minutes would make a difference if I was having a heart attack? Probably, yeah. Seven minutes makes a difference because I said 10, not 10.07. You're grounded for the next month. But dad, you're still grounded for the next month. Sin has consequences. Now, do you think I was happy about having to punish my daughter and not allow her to go out with her friends for a whole month? No, it didn't make me happy. But it was the consequence. I always believe in raising our children, if we tell them we're going to do something, then we should do that. And God has told us, if we do this, he's going to do that. And if we transgress God's word and his law and he doesn't do that, then that makes God an unrighteous God. So when we think about the wrath of God, it's, it's, it's not God being wrathful, it's us being sinful and receiving what is their due course, our due wage for our sin. Thanks. All right, what? Yes, sir. Good point, good point. Um, I know many of you guys can't hear Paul, but uh, his comment is that it's not sin per se that brings about God's wrath, but rather the impenitent and hard heart. So in, in Romans 2, um, first part of Romans 2, 5, because of your hard and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself. Uh, uh, verse 11, read it all or just read verse 11? Okay, start reading in verse 6. He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. Yeah, it's pretty clear, you know. Um, Paul's going to go on in Romans, and he's going to talk about how we avert that. You know, we, it's in Christ. God chose to take on the consequences of sin in himself, you know, in the, in the death of Christ. And we, in Christ, we are not punished for what we've done. But if we persist in impenitence and rebellion, thoughts? Yes, ma'am. Okay, help me understand what you're saying. What, are you asking me if I would preach one? And then what was the other part? Well, I hope I wouldn't let... 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would, six, seven years ago, I preached a series on the Ten Commandments, and I was thinking uh, not too long ago, it may have been longer than that now, that maybe I ought to do another one. And, and I hope I wouldn't let sensitivity keep me from preaching any portion of the Bible, but I hope I would approach it with respect for the fact that I need to do it in a way where the Word of God can have its desired effect on people without unnecessarily pushing them away. So that's an ongoing struggle, tension, just in the back of my mind and, and you know, recognizing that. Uh, good, good thought. Yeah, um, let me, Merv, and then, is that, Reg, is that Reggie? Reggie. Okay, I'll come back to you, Reggie, in just a second. Do what? That's a good question, um, Merv. I would, I would say, and then, Bill, if you've got a thought about this, I, I, I do believe God's wrath is active today. Um, you know, we talked about this pri- privately with some folks who were asking me about that uh, last Sunday afternoon, and, um, and, and I, th- I think it's hard for us to say, it's, it's hard for us to pinpoint the example that I often think of is Katrina. I remember hearing some stuff back then, I may have mentioned this last week, but uh, there's sometime, there were some folks who said, see, Katrina was God's wrath being poured out on the debauchery of New Orleans. And I, you know, I, I, would, never, I would never say that, you know, I would never, because I don't, I don't think you can pinpoint it and say this bad thing, God is angry at you or he's angry at a situation or whatever. But then in a, in a broader sense, is God still acting? Are there consequences to people's choices and could those negative consequences be characterized in some sense as being connected to the wrath of God? I would say yes. But then pointing to something specific and saying that is God's direct action, I, 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 I wouldn't say that. Now, ultimately, the wrath of God, I believe, is satisfied in the death of Jesus. And, and, and for those in Christ, you know, we do not receive his wrath. Ask unanimous consent to accept his view. No, I think that's exactly right. I mean, what he was saying is exactly what I think. God God set things in motion, and there are things that happen that that we can look at as thinking those are acts of wrath or acts of vengeance. But, you know, how do we say that a tornado that came through here that blew away some good Christian families? home and destroyed two of their children is an act of vengeance on, of God if they're good people. Uh, it rains on the just and the unjust. But at the same time, as Chuck said, I firmly believe that there are consequences that we pay for the sins that we commit. There are consequences for it. Uh, David, that's Old Testament, but David's yeah. a good example of that. He's forgiven and yet he still received the consequences of his sinful act. All right, we're almost, uh, um, actually we're beyond time when 
my goal is for us to stop. But you got any, any other? I know that's a big topic, man. We could talk forever about it. Oh, yeah, I forgot. I was going to come back over here. Sorry about that, you guys. Yeah, so I always got to come back to God's essential nature, which is his love. You know, that's who, that's who he is. I appreciate that. Reggie, did... <laughs> Sorry. All right. Um, thanks, Bill. I appreciate your help. Um, you know, I, one f- just final thought about this uh, wrath thing. I, for thousands of years, here's, here's another reason why I still think we got we got to deal with this in some way. For thousands of years, people have, haven't had a problem talking about the wrath of God. It, it's interesting. You look at Christian history. Just take the last 2,000 years. Christians, for 2,000 years, and, and well, let me, let me back up for a second. Biblical writers, they talk about the wrath of God, and it's like they're not shuffling their feet, wondering, oh, I don't want to offend somebody. I want, I want to be very careful. You don't, you don't sense that squeamishness. And then the, for 2,000 years, you've got folks assuming the wrath of God, and, and it's in recent times in the Western world where all of a sudden we get really nervous in talking about it. And so when that is the case, historically speaking, all of a sudden, just a blimp, just, just, just a small dot on this timeline, you know, people start having a problem with it, that makes me want to think, wait a second, is the problem what, what the text says, or is the problem with this particular cultural moment we're in? Uh, you know what? So I, that's something that when there's something going on right now that is an anomaly from the vast from the vastness of Christian history, I need to look very carefully at this, what's going on in culture at that moment that's causing me or us to feel that tension, you know? This is maybe one of those things. Yes. Is that not Satan trying to control us by intimidating us, embarrassing us, causing us to feel embarrassed to speak out against sin? For example, like homosexuality. I know the case right now in the denomination here in Alabama, they're in a major fight over homosexuality. And they're being shamed. Don't love God, you're not 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I know you can't hear Clark, but um, is, is it possible that Satan works through cultural pressure to keep us from saying what needs to be said? And I think the answer to that is absolutely yes. And so that's why we have to look at the, what our culture is telling us right now. And, and if we see Christians caving in on certain, whether it's you know some sort of sexual thing or if it's the wrath of God or whatever it is, if we see Christians who are caving in on that, we've got we to gotta look, okay, how does... How have Christians interpreted this for 2,000 years? And when all of a sudden we become enlightened and recognize that Christians for 2,000 years have been wrong about something, that ought to make like red flags go up, right? We ought to. Now, certain times it certainly happened with things like slavery, where there were Christians for hundreds of years who somehow were able to interpret the Bible as being um, accepting of, of slavery. So there are times where history is not going to be your best guide, you know, so you, you got to be willing to go against history, but you at least have to ask the questions, you know, so that's a big thing we can talk about for a while, uh, but good thoughts. In just a minute, we're going to uh, stand and sing a song. Uh, Corey's going to come and lead us, and I am resolved. If there's anybody here tonight who uh, wants to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, submit your life to him, that you might be found in him, blameless, to use the words of Paul. Uh, we invite you to make that confession tonight, be baptized into him for the forgiveness of all of your sins, to receive God's spirit. You can do that tonight. If you need to come and ask for prayers, as two of our brothers did this morning, then we give you that chance as well right now. Let's stand.